Lord, we just thank for this day. We thank for the opportunity to open your word and to study. We thank for each person that's here. We just want to lift up individuals. We think of Matt, who ended up in the emergency room last night for breathing issues, and he's back home. We ask that you give him comfort. We get talk. Think about Loretta, who's got her eye surgery coming up, and my mom was recovering from her hip surgery. And we just thank you for all these individuals, Lord, that you're in the process of healing and, and ask for your guidance and leading in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Revelation 3, starting at verse 14. Now unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, and the, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot, a cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and, and white raiment that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness do not appear and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, Laodicea, the last church, and you'll hear it called oftentimes the church of the end times. You know, the church has grown cold, and or not even cold, as he says, lukewarm, thinking they're strong. So we'll see some evidence that this is a church of this day, of this time. And again, remember, I don't put a lot of stock in that, but there is, there is these, there are these representation of these churches matching church age, and as an application, it does work. Uh, but like I said, we want to take it literally as much as possible in this, talking to this particular church. Laodicea, this was a town built on two rivers in Asia Minor. You've got your map there. It's about 60 kilometers, they say, from Ephesus. So it's right there in that little horseshoe of that, ma of that map. It originally was called the City of Zeus. So you can imagine that Zeus is the... Is the um, major god that they're worshiping. They also had a temple for Apollo and multiple temples for the, for the emperors. And remember, we've talked about this. The emperors uh, or the Caesars would, would get, come to power by military force usually and then declare themselves to be god. And that wasn't uncommon in that day and age for a king to declare that they were god. A uh, little bit egotistical, but it is what it was. <laughs> uh, Laodicea was on a major road of that day. And in John's day, it was a city that had very little importance. It was just a, a, a city on the, on the major road, so it, had a, it, had, you know, it would have some entertainment places. It had a great, one of the great stadiums of, of Rome were there. Uh, it did have a medical school that had a great reputation. And in that medical school, they were really well known for their eye salve, which is referred to later on and, and taking care of eyes. Uh, so it is... And it had a very large Jewish population. 
they, in, in the days of when Babylon was a kingdom, they had shipped 2,000 Jews back to this town, and they were, back in that time, pretty good population of a town. And by John's day, they'd been there for three, four hundred years, so, and they had stayed there. They didn't go back to Jerusalem, so there was a very large Jewish population in this town. And so we just want to give that history on Laodicea. It's not one of the great towns or anything out of, these, out of this list. So we're going to look at what, what it says. And to the church, angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. Now we use the word Amen, but do you realize the word Amen is, is common in, in most languages? It's transliterated without change. They may say Ah instead of A, but it's a word that is recognized in almost every European language and, and most Middle, Asian, Middle Eastern languages. And it's one of the few words that are out there. The other one would be in hallelujah is pretty much transliterated straight through to all the, all the, all the different churches. And then they all come from the Hebrew. And does anybody really know what amen means? The end. So it is, let it be so. Let it be so, or so be it, or truly. Uh, we use it at the end of our prayers, and, and what we're really saying when we tack amen to the end of our prayer is, God, let it be so, or let it be so, whatever I prayed, let it be so. Uh, so I just wanted to bring that up because most, of us, most people don't know what amen means. It's just the word at the end of the prayer. <laughs> uh, but it, is, it, it means uh, let it be so or of the truth or surely. When Jesus said verily, verily, in the Greek it's amen, amen. <laughs> or amen, amen in the Greek on it. Uh, so it's, Jesus says, these things says the amen, the one that lets it be so. <laughs> and the faithful, and the true witness. And he's, he's getting into his veracity. When Jesus says something, we can count on it, and he is the word made flesh. And the word of God is something we can count on, and we've talked about it over and over. This is, it is a book that is completely true. We can stand on it. And if there's ever a time when somebody can prove that something is not true in there, then, they, then the whole Bible becomes wasted and, and, and basically garbage. Because if, we can't, if there's any part of it we can't believe, then we don't know what to believe. And that's a very important statement. I want to get us through our heads at all times. It is absolutely true. And, if, and as Dr. McGee said, if there's a part that we don't agree with the word, the problem isn't God's, it's our problem. <laughs> and... During the 1800s, there was this, this big move to try to say the Bible wasn't true and there's, there's problems with it. In the, in the 1960s and 70s, the, a movement called the, the Jesus Symposium came together and it grabbed all these supposedly smart biblical scholars that were so far left of, left of what the Bible says, tried to, tried to show that... Uh, what, was, what did Jesus say in the Bible and what didn't Jesus say in the Bible? And by the time, and they came out with the Bible, the kid, you know, in, in, I think it was red letters was something Jesus said, and then, you know, and they had color-coded, it was color-coded, he might have, you know, this is something he probably would have said, but we can't prove that he said it, this was something he probably didn't say, and he didn't say these things, so anything that had to do with the cross or the sacrifice, you know, his sacrificial position or even the millennial kingdom and the coming coming ruler that was all he did he never said that stuff is what they determined and these people thought they were very smart 
Huh? How do they justify that with what's in Revelation? They just decided that they were going to, they had to be able to prove it. And it, it, the, the rules they used are opposite of any ancient document. Any ancient document is assumed to be true unless you can disprove it. And that's pretty much what we do with any document. You know, we start with the assumption that it is true and we compare it to other writings, other, other history we know and say, does it still stand up or not? And there's many books you go into, okay, you know, history says this isn't right, history says this isn't right, the other, we've got five scholars that say this isn't right, okay, this book is not worth, <laughs> worth anything, it's got three or four words that are valid. So what they've done, and this is happening all the time with the Bible, they're trying to follow different rules with the Bible than any other ancient writing. They'll look at the Bible and say, okay, it is false unless we can prove it true instead of the normal it is true until we can prove that it's false. Uh, and that just makes sense because Satan wants to destroy the Word of God and it's very, and it's very much harder to prove something to be true. Uh, and this is why American ju jurisprudence was based on the fact you're innocent until you're proven guilty. Very high bar they, and, our, and, the, and the founding fathers wanted it high because they, and they've said it over and over. We'd rather let nine guilty people go than convict one innocent person. Mm -hmm. French law was exactly opposite. You're guilty until you're proven innocent. So in, in their French law, you most likely will go to jail because it's very hard to prove your innocence. And uh, in Don't the state... Don't well, go to France. As a matter of fact, be careful in Louisiana, which, is, which follows French jurisprudence oh, really? at, the, at the state level. In... in, in in the state courts of, Illinois, of uh, Louisiana, you're guilty until proven innocent. In the federal courts, you, you, they follow federal law, but oh, well, forget that part too. Then. Yeah. But they follow the French jurisprudence, and uh, but this is Jesus saying, "I am the true one. I am the faithful one. When He speaks, He is true. When He gives us knowledge, it is true knowledge." And it says, "He is the beginning of the creation of God." Or the principle is better. Better translation. He's not beginning is not the best translation of that. He's the principle of the creation. In other words, he's the foundation of creation. It, no creation would be made without him, and that's what's said quite a few places. That he is the word. He is the creator. He's the one that holds all of creation together. And it and it's funny when you you know the, if you remember your science and you think about an atom. An atom has protons and neutrons in the center, which should be blowing apart, and electrons flying around it, which should be attracted to the protons, and yet they are held, yeah. held together. And if you talk to scientists, they go, well, it's this, this unknown force that we don't know, some, some force. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus holds all things together. And without him, the very atoms of, of creation wouldn't even hold together because they violate they violate the laws of science, and I've talked to I've talked to one of my my cousins. He's a he's a doctor in, in uh, physics, and he goes well. He goes this, that, and the other thing. He starts explaining. I'm going. You're just talking circles. <laughs> you know, you're just talking in circles here. You know, you're, you haven't said anything of any value or any truth because they don't have a truth. They don't understand how it can be held together, and so. But we know is, is through the scripture, the scripture tells us that Jesus holds all things together. Verse 15. 
this comment that he makes in every single one after he identifies himself, I know your works. Okay? And this is, this is, this is something we want to and we keep going on. God knows the works of the churches. He knows the works of each individual. He knows our anything. works. Huh? I said you can't hide anything. Can't hide anything from him. He knows whether it's good, bad, and, and if you recall, there's been lots of good and bad in all these churches. This is the church that he says nothing good about. Okay? It says, I know your works. You are neither hot, a cold, nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. Then because, so because you, are not, uh, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out. And these words are kind of interesting because the cold here is not just relating to cold and temperature, but it is destitute of Christian faith and desire for holiness. Okay? They've gotten so cold that they have no desire to be holy. And in one sense, that really represents the church of this day and age as a whole. You know, not every single church, but the church as a whole is not desiring to be holy. And it's a scary thing when you think about it because you know, we've got whole denominations accepting things that the Bible say are, are, are sins. Uh, and they're not having any problem because they have no desire for holiness. God is so gracious, so merciful that he has no standards is what they try to tell you. And yet we know that that's not true. Just because God is gracious, just because he is merciful, just because he is loving, just because he sent Jesus to pay for sins does not mean that he's not righteous and holy and demand us to be righteous and holy. And this is what I say over and over. Because, Jesus is, because God is in us, Jesus is in us, we will become holy and righteous people because he will work out of our life as he crucifies our flesh. And then the hot is fervent, fervent of mind. You know, when you meet, some, meet a Christian who has got that fervency, they're fun to be around, they're fun to see because they love God, they love his word, they love to share God. And they have this desire to be as close to God as they can be and as, as like him as possible. Not out of self-righteous desire to be like him, but just because they love him so much that they want that to happen. And Jesus is saying, you're neither hot nor cold. You know, why do you think you'd even prefer them to be cold rather than lukewarm? Anybody have any idea? Make them warm them up. Well, <laughs> you're close on that one. You can warm up lukewarm too. Who is easier to talk to, the person who knows that, they, that they're off with God or the one who thinks they're okay with God? These were the ones Jesus had the trouble, the Pharisees, who thought they were okay with God because they were outwardly doing so many good things. And Jesus said, you know, Jesus was harsh on them. You, sep you, you, you whitewashed sepulchers, you serpents, you vipers, you brood of vipers. You know, he, he went after them because they thought they were good. And if you've ever tried to witness to somebody, it is a whole lot easier to witness to somebody who is cold. They, they, don't give, they don't care anything about God. It doesn't matter. They, they have no desire. They're much easier to worship, uh, worship them, witness to than somebody who thinks they're okay. Or they know it all. Or they know it all. And, this, and these are people that are going, you know, hey, we're okay. <laughs> you know, and Jesus is saying, 
because you're only lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. And this literally, if you have any newer version, it says vomit. I know, yeah. Okay. And it's but, a harsh word. This spew makes it sound like he's just kind of spitting them out of his but mouth. When but I, my other Bible says vomit, I think, you know, that is, he has a good personality. I mean... But this is a strong, this yeah, is a strong yeah. word. You, you are making me so sick that I am going to get rid of you. No matter how. Hard. Yeah. I'm not just spitting you out into, yeah. so I'm just getting, I'm getting you well, far, as far away from me as possible. And, but this is how sickening he finds this, this lukewarm position where they think they're good. And we're going to look more into what they think about this. You know, lukewarm, lukewarm in this case is a very interesting word as well because it is, it means tepid, which is a kind of a strange word anyway, but it also is a condition of the soul wretchedly fluctuating between dull inactivity and, and a fervor of love. Okay? These are people that are one day they're they're cold as ice. They don't care about God. The next day they, they seem to almost care, and they kind of bounce back and forth. And, and they're in a place where they just feel like they have no need. I don't need God. I'm okay. Everything's good. How easy is it for us to float into that position, of that lukewarm position, of God? I I really I'm doing okay. <laughs> you know, and we all have that tendency to float into, I'm 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 doing okay. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, and I think it was on Wednesday, how we get so used to being blessed by God that we forget that it's a blessing. And we start slipping into this lukewarm thing of, well, I, everything's good, I'm, I'm good with God, and, you know, and I'm blessed, and I'm seeing all these things, and God's saying, you know, be careful, it's not the normal, it's, it's, you're being blessed. And it's that whole mentality, and this is a picture of the different way that God sees us from the way we see us. And we're going to look more into this because, verse 17, Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. This is what they're saying about themselves, okay? I'm rich. You know, I, I, have, I have everything. I'm abounding in, in material blessings. I'm abounding in Christian virtue and eternal possessions. I have everything, and I'm, I'm being in, richly supplied, and I, got, I, I don't need anything. I've, I've got everything. You know, uh, I'm doing well. Maybe you've been there at some point in your Christian life where you think everything's going good, and you kind of forget God to a point. And I think this is why many Christians do not get material blessed, blessed materially because they would end up forgetting God. And that was the prayer that Solomon in, in Proverbs says, Lord, give me just enough that I'm not going to steal, but not so much that I forget you. Okay? And, and that's a good prayer. Because... Is, yeah. There's this one commercial I'm sure everybody's seen on TV, and I just don't like it. It's about uh, these rich people saying, I'm so rich, I don't need, I don't need anything because I can get whatever I want. Just, I, I forget how it goes, but it's just something I never did like it. Because yeah. the way they pronounce their stuff as being rich, you know. Yeah, and that's the way, that's the way some people will think, and I believe like we a lot of Christians get that want. same way, too. They get a little bit, in, and we see it in churches a lot. Somebody gets blessed, and they, they buy the nice house. They put the swimming pool in. They, they, they buy their quads. They get their boat. They get their camper. 
and then they go, you never see them for weeks on end because, well, you've got the stuff, you've got to use it. Yeah. You know, you've got to go out and use it, and God's saying, I blessed you with all this stuff, and now you're ignoring me. And he'll take it away. <laughs> he'll take it away. So we see the human side of things, the flesh side of things. We're rich, we got everything we need, and then we look at what God says. But you know not that you are wretched. Now, that's a hard word. You know, you are you are wretched. You you are you know, you don't even have anything. You don't, you know, you're miserable. He goes, and you're miserable, you're 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 to be pitied, and you're poor. And again, this poor is destitute. And this is this is not just poor the working poor. This is when this in this Greek word it is poor to the point of being a beggar. Okay? They're saying they're rich, and God's saying, You're a beggar. <laughs> you you are you are living on the on the dregs of society of, of what you could be living on. And you're blind. And this is a mental blindness there. And if you've ever talked with somebody who says they're a Christian and you start talking about anything about the Bible or God's word and you just and you just it's obvious that they are totally blind to his word. That's what this word is bringing out. And you are naked, you're de deprived of an outer garment. Okay? And it's not totally naked, but deprived of that outer garment that covers. It'd be like walking around in your underwear. Okay? And which would be shameful and and not not good. So here's their, their picture of themselves is that everything is good and, and they're, they're doing good. They believe they're following God's word. They're, they're learning. And God comes along and says, you've got nothing. You're totally blind. And this is the difference between a world way of looking at things and the biblical way of looking at things. And what is it, because see, naked's a lot, lot of times thrown in the off. What, what would that mean here? This particular naked means to, to be deprived of your outer garment. Uh, it would be basically going around in your underwear uh, in this particular case. This isn't totally, you know, isn't talking about total naked. Yeah. You're, you're covered, but you're not. You're, you're covered in a way you wouldn't go out into public if you are or not, you know, don't and have, if you have a, shame, a sense of shame. And isn't it, oh yeah, I thought I was already saying, and it's shame for yeah. being that way. Yeah, it's shameful being that way. It's, yeah. you know, it's a step up from being totally naked and, and being totally shamed, but, you know, you're, it is a position that no person should be wanting to be seen in. Well, yeah, sometimes you go to Walmart, you see some people well, you can't believe. In our day and age, we have a, we have a world that has no shame. I swear I, people go to Walmart in their underpants and the nightgown. And this is, we, we're in this place where people have no shame anymore. And because we're working on the, we're, we're coming into the days of Noah and the wickedness. And there is this idea of there is no shame. And you see people practically, practically with nothing on. And sometimes with, you know, you'd almost where they have nothing on the way they're dressed. And, you know, it's, it's, and to me, and they think they're great looking when they're that way. I yeah. Think Just stand in the prescription line one day. No, I don't have to do that. It's not, we're getting into the time. You know, we're actually coming out of the time of the year where, where it's really bad, but and it's not as bad in Kingman as it has been other places where I've lived. So it's. I know it's funny when I go to Kingman because I don't get out of Florida that much. I don't mean to stare, but I just can't believe how some people dress. Well, you see a bunch of it in King here in Chloride every once in a while too. So. But not as. But not as bad because it's a smaller town. 
But this is, this is the difference between seeing things the way the world sees it and seeing the things the way God sees it. And I know sometimes people get irritated because I tend to want to see things the way God sees them, you know, and they'll go, I don't want to know people after the flesh. I want to see them as much as possible in a positive light unless they're proving to me that they are not who God says they're supposed to be. I mean, if somebody has been something in the past and they say they know Jesus and they're changing their life, then I'm going to believe that they are a new creation being changed. And unless they prove to me otherwise, I'm going to accept that they are a new creation being changed. And this is important for us is how do we look at one another? Do we see each other the way Christ sees us? Do we see ourselves in, in, the, in a perfect state? Because if we start edifying and building people up for what they're doing good and correct in the spirit, they'll start becoming more, of like, more like it because they're, gonna, they're going to want to be that. And if all we're going to do is judge them for who they've always been, you know, they're going to become who they've always been. You know, the, the person who's coming off of alcohol, their family's always waiting for them to fall off the wagon, and they know it. Because of the little things they say and do, they just know that they're just waiting for them to, to fail again. And you know what? They're going to fail. When, when their family is looking at them that they're going to fail, they're going to fail. Self-fulfilling prophecy. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, you know, so we want to be able to encourage people, build them up, see them after Christ. Again, now, if somebody's been a thief all their life and they're, and they're still stealing and I catch them stealing, you know, I'm going to say, okay, you're not a new creation. You may be struggling, but I'm not going to give you great trust from that point on because you've proved that you're not making it, but you go a while without me knowing of any stealing and you've taken, you've bypassed it, then I'm going to go, okay, this person is a new creation and they're moving along. Or they would be, we call that lukewarm when they're, like, not changing. Well, it could be lukewarm. It could be, uh, I mean, there are sins that, every one of us has sins oh, yeah. that, that we just can't seem to get over. And for every one of us, that sin is terrible in our life. You know, yeah. no matter whether somebody looks at it and says, is that your only problem, a big deal? You know, no, it, you know, it's a big deal for that person if, that, if it's a besetting sin for them. And we never want to belittle anybody else's hardship, you know. I, I am so thankful that I haven't had to go through some of the hardships that I know people go through. But by the same token, I know that it may just be around the corner, that God has some very hard things for me to go through. So I want to, but, you know, this person I heard on the radio, you know, if somebody's hardest thing that ever has happened to them is they cut their fingers, it's still bad to them. Now, it's as bad to them as the person who lost their arm or their, or a leg, you know, because this was the worst that's ever happened to them. It's still... <laughs> bad to them. Pardon me. You know, and other people are going, what are you whining about? You know, we don't want to take that attitude because it's still something that is bad for them. And we want to have that position. But how do we look at things? Are we looking at it through the, the vision of God's word? Or do we look at it through the way the world looks at it? Yeah. We were talking about in one of the pastor's meetings, they were going, the church is... The, the divorce rate in the church is more now than the, the divorce rate in the world. And one of the pastors made a very good point. It's because more people are getting married in the church than in the world. Can't have a divorce if they don't get married in the first place. And the world isn't getting married very quickly. He makes lies sound true. And this is why we need to be in God's word. We need to hear truth. We need to, we need to know truth because when you know the truth, you'll hear the lies. 
okay? And it's very simple. And the greatest example of this is for treasury officers. The way they teach them to recognize counterfeit bills is they spend months just handling the real thing. Months. Now they know all the different things to look at and there's a lot to look on, you know, for a bill. But they, because all they ever handle is the real thing, that their final test will be that they'll put a false bill in amongst their real and that all of a sudden they'll just, they're just fingering through it and it's like something's wrong. Okay? And this is also where discernment comes in in the spiritual world. We spend so much time with God, we spend so much time in His Word that when we hear a false teaching, we may not even know what was wrong with it when we first hear it, but it's all of a sudden, what was that that I just heard? I've done it a lot when I listen to the radio, because usually the radio is background sound for me. I, I'll be listening, and, and I am listening, but I'm not you know, actively hard listening. And all of a sudden, I'll hear something. I'm going, what was just said? And, I li and I'll start listening really carefully. I'm going, oh, one of my teachers that I like just said something really dumb. Okay. Well, just today, I mean, I haven't really recognized any of that, but just today, it's so funny. I couldn't believe I actually heard something like, that isn't right. <laughs> For me, that's pretty darn good because I'm not that. And that's the discernment that God gives you. I'm and thinking, they're wrong. And we want that discernment because, and like I said, I've heard it from teachers that I dearly love and I respect probably 99% of what they say, but every teacher is going to have some place where they're going to say something. Maybe they said it wrong. Maybe, you know, maybe their, their words got tangled around their teeth as it was coming out or something, you know, and it came out wrong and they didn't mean what they said. And on the radio, you'd figure they'd fix that, but, but in real life, they can't, you know, so it's... But we want to be careful. We want to have that discernment because the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our guide. And discernment is the greatest gift that God gives us from the Holy Spirit is so that we know the truth when we hear it. And we sit back and we say, we're going to be good Bereans. We're going to listen when we find something wrong. And I've shared, you know, as a teenager, I would hear a pastor that would just say something that did not ring true to me. And I would go, God, I need to know what this means. I, want, I need to know the truth about this. And no, there's yeah. no, because it was the thing that I had on my internet. It wasn't a radio. I was reading this, and so I saved it because I'm. So I said, and I get it all the time. And it's really good, and I'm mm -hmm. they're always right. I said, <laughs> they're wrong this time. That is wrong. Yeah. So I'm gonna. I mean, and it was to me obvious wrong, and that's pretty good for me. And that comes. And what we, but on the same side, is we. There's different way. Different churches will read the verses differently, and they'll teach you differently. So sometimes it's just the way that their church believes. And I'm not going to say that they're yeah. absolutely 100% wrong, but I read it and I say, like, nope, I don't buy I don't buy it. It's not true. And there's little things, and we've shared them over time. When, when they talk about the cup of, in Gethsemane with Jesus, let me not, you know, let this cup pass if it's your will. I believe that God took the cup away from him because I believe that he was being killed in Gethsemane and he was saying, God, if you want me to die here, that's fine, but I'm supposed to go to the cross. I don't buy the normal teaching that he was afraid of the cross and all of a sudden that he gave, gave. And the reason I don't buy this is because I believe that fear is a sin. So that if he was having fear in Gethsemane because of what was coming, then he had sinned and I don't buy that. So because fear is presumption upon God's future. So I believe that God did take the cup away from him. And I know that I'm in a very small minority on that, on that teaching, but that is the way I believe. And I've always believed that when I never have believed that the cup, of, the cup was the cross. 
because it made no sense. He, he had planned on coming in somewhere in eternity past to die for us. He was born to die for us. He told the disciples for, thir you know, for three, year, you know, three to four years, I'm going to go to the cross and die. I'm going to go to the cross and die. And then the night before, he's afraid of it. It never made sense to me. So it's one of those things. Will I, will I argue some tooth and nail with somebody who wants to say, no, it's the cup? No, I'm, it's, up to their, it's up to them to be wrong. I don't care. <laughs> and like I say, I'm never going to sit there and argue with somebody on that because it's, I can't prove what I believe. They can't prove what they believe. And you know, they'll, they'll, they'll cite that they're in the majority. Most people believe it, and that's fine. That's, it's, it's good and fine, and I'm not going to. So he's saying, you see yourselves as good, I see you as terrible. And he goes, verse 18, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness do, does not appear and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. This word buy literally just means marketplace. It doesn't even mean buy. It just means to be in the marketplace. The, the key to this is, God wants to give us the gold. And he said he wants to give it to us, and he bought us out of the marketplace of sin. He redeemed us from sin to give us gold, silver, and precious gems that was talked about in, in 1 Corinthians 13. When we stand before Jesus at the Bema Seed, he'll take all of our works, and they'll be burnt. And only the gold, silver, and gems will survive. And that, you know, we've shared this before. That is what God does in our life, not what we do. And he says, I want to, you know, come. Come get the gold. I've redeemed you. Get this fine gold in your life. And then and get white raiment. Be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So Jesus saying is, you're in the marketplace, but I've got this stuff for you. I'm gonna, I bought you, I've taken you out of the marketplace. I'm giving you these items. I want you to, to be blessed. I want you to see me give you this stuff. And he goes, white raiment that we will be clothed, that the shame of our nakedness does not appear. And this takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and God says, oh, you're ashamed of your nakedness. Who told you you were naked to begin with? And they had clothed themselves with their own righteous works of, you know, by making up some clothes. And God says, nope, that's not good enough. And he gave them the skins of animals, which means he did the first sacrifice. He gave the first sacrifice and he says, I'm giving you, I'm giving you the clothing. I'm shedding the blood to, of your forgiveness, for his forgiveness. And it says, you know, and here's Jesus saying, you know, I counsel you. I'm begging you almost, come, come get what I have for you. Now, don't start this stuff of I'm okay, I'm rich, I can, I can do all my, all my own. And this is the problem that we have so often in, in, in churches, in, in, in relationship one with another. We have this idea of I can work out these problems, I can fix my problems, I don't need, I don't need to go to church to, help, you know, to have people help me, I can take care of all of this stuff. And God has given us the church to be able to lift up, to edify, to build, build up. Our church is perfect? Absolutely not. They're made out of imperfect people. Are there people that are going to take what they hear and, 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 and brutalize you about it? Unfortunately, that is a true statement. There are people that are going to do that. But if the church is learning in, in God's word and they're growing in love, there's going to be more people that are going to love you and say, it's okay, I'll be praying for you, I'll help you. 
than the, those that are going to take advantage of you. And it is important because all of us have weaknesses. And we all need that person that we can share our weakness for with and know that it's no longer hidden. Satan loves to have you with hidden sins. Because if you have hidden sins that you don't want everybody to know, Satan is going to use it saying, yep, see, you're worthless. And if they really, you know, you're right to keep it away from them. If they, if they knew who you were, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. And all of that is lies from Satan for, from a... From, from a perspective of a true per Christian who's wanting to serve God. Because we all know that we sin. And we all know, we all need that at least one or two people that we can open up and say, this is who I am. And know that they still love us. In spite of all of our craziness, and there's some people that are crazier than others, but we all have craziness in our life if we looked at our sin area. You know, and then if you sit down and you say, if people really knew all of my sins, they'd probably be sick. And you know what? They probably would be. But if they're in Christ, they're going to see you after Christ. If everybody knew you know, some of the sins that I have in my life, they'd probably go, how can, they, how can, they, you know, how can we follow a pastor like that? <laughs> you know, but God knows, and, and I have friends who know who I am. And they pray for me, and they know when I'm weak. And, and I'll call them up and say, I need prayer in this area because I'm struggling. And we all need that because we all have areas in our life where we're going to struggle and we need people who just say, you know, I need your prayer. And all I can do is call either one of my two friends and say, I need your prayer. And they don't need to ask about what it is because they know my weaknesses and they know it's got to be one of the few, those areas and they're going to pray for me. They're not going to judge me over, oh, how can you be fallen again? You know, they're going to go, we're just going to pray for you. And we need those people that are just saying, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to, I'm going to love you. And I'm not going saying come into church and announce all your bad to everybody in the church. No, don't do that. <laughs> but find the people that you can share with, you can ask for those prayers with, and you can open up and be yourself. That are going to know that people sin. You know, we all should know that we all sin, but a lot of people forget that. <laughs> and we want to be able to say that he says, and he says, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And I'm going to say for us as Christians, it's the word of God. We need to get into the Word of God. We need to see the way God sees. And it is so wonderful when you start seeing the way God sees. When you start seeing people after who they are in Christ rather than, than what we normally see from people. When we can reach out and love. Because I can guarantee if I didn't see people after who they are in Christ, I probably wouldn't love most people. Because they're hard to love. And they're not nice in many cases. And we want to be careful because also people do the same thing to me. And so we want to be looking at this and getting into God's Word and changing the way we see things. When something is, happens to us that we think is bad, if we're seeing it after the biblical way, all things work together for good and that God is in control, doesn't that change the way you, you act when something that seems bad happens? If you're in the world, it's like, man, how can this be happening? I was supposed to be someplace in, in five minutes, and my car broke down or overheated or, or I got a flat tire or whatever it might be, or I'm in a wreck. You know, and, but we see it from God's side, and God says, I've got something there for you. It may be just a chance to witness to the person who, who ended up hitting your car. You, know, you never know what it might be. You know, when we sit back and we say, are we going to see it God's way? The only way we can start seeing it God's way is by getting into the Word and starting to draw closer to Him and, and being more like Him. 
19? Yes. Okay. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I like this verse, too. It says, as many as I love. And this, uh, this love is not agape love, either. This is filial love. Phileo love. This is uh, those that I love as a brother. So this isn't the world that he's talking about. And it's a good, good word. He doesn't chasten the world. They're not his. They are his, but they're not his. I mean, they, because of Adam and Eve, the world has been given to Satan. And Jesus says, those that I have phileo for, that, I'm in, that we are in a brotherly relationship with, or I'm the father, you know, I'm the, the husband of, the father of, I'm going to chasten them. I'm going to rebuke them. I'm going to teach and train them. And God does that for us. If, he doesn't, if you're not being chastened and, and rebuked, then you better start wondering, do you belong to him? Because we need that. We need our lives changed. We need, our, we need those testings that bring us to, to change. And this is the purpose of testing. It's to say, do I truly believe what I, what I believe? Am I going to walk in what I say I believe? And am I growing in it? And it's a way for God to test and chasten and correct. And so, but it is a good verse. And it says, and I love this, be zealous. This word is quite interesting in Greek because it means be heated up, get hot. And when you think about him at the very beginning of this saying, saying, you're lukewarm. He's saying, okay, you're going, I'd rather you be cold than hot, you know, than lukewarm. But he doesn't really want people to be cold. He wants them to be hot. So here he's saying, get zealous, get heated up. Don't go in the refrigerator and get frozen, but get hot. And, and move. Get to where you're seeking after him. Get to where you're looking for the, the righteousness and the holiness. Get hot, therefore, and repent. And again, we've talked about repent a lot. This is, this uh, in the Greek means it's a change of life or a change of mind. Uh, it's the idea that your evil is abhorrent to you. And abhorrent is a strong word. You know, uh, when you're thinking about this, does your does sin really make you sick when you see it? And we throw that out because it's something we need to do. We live in an environment in a world where sin abounds and sickness abounds. We were talking about it with just the way people dress when they're out in public, with no shame and no you know, and the, and the draw lustful thoughts from people. Does it make us sick when we see it, or we want to be part of staring at it and saying, wow, I'm enjoying this? You know, and that's not where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be sickened by it. The stuff we see on TV and movies. You know, it used to be that they, would, they wouldn't show anything. They'd just show, show the gun being fired and the guy laying down on the ground. Now you actually will be shown the bullet embedding in the person, blowing, you know, blowing the, the tissue out, and we're still not sickened by it. Okay, because we're getting so used to seeing sin. And this is critical for us as Christians. Are we living a life that leaves us where when we see things that are re repulsive and sickening, that it repulses us? It's like I went and visited my stepdad at the uh, Alzheimer's place. I couldn't believe what was on that TV. And it was on his CD in his room and the main thing. It's that show that I think is so disgusting. I think it's called The Walking Dead or something. Mm -hmm. It is 
It is so disgusting. And I don't see how they would even have it on there to watch, to these people to watch it. I would really make them go crazy. But that's the point of it all. It, the whole point of the world's system is to get us so overloaded with sin that we don't, we're not disgusted by it. We've become complacent. We've become complacent. When I go um, next time on town, could you have different stations on not those things? But there's, it's on, every, it's on every other channel too, so it really doesn't matter what they watch. It's, but it is... And I've seen it even in my own life uh, because I have lived in places where homosexuality is so prevalent that when I, s I mean, I hate the activity, and but I see couples together, you know, I can't handle the kissing part, but I mean, if they're just holding hands or something, it doesn't repulse me as much as it should because I've seen it it's so, so much over the years. And I know it's sin, I know it's bad and all that, but... But I understand how that repulsiveness starts dwindling because you see it so much. And we've got to be careful about that. We've got to be very careful. That's why we've got to stay on God's word and know what he says about what we're, what we're looking at. What does he say? Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. That's not the whole verse, but it's, yeah. you know, we want to be thinking on what God says is good, not all the evil. And I think that's a big part of why TV and movies are starting to repulse me. I don't even want to watch so much of it anymore because I, I even, like I say, I've gotten to the place where I watch these shows that are supposed to be good shows from the 60s and 70s that I remember growing up on and I'm looking at them and saying, okay, these are pretty mild compared to today, but they're still teaching the same stuff. They were, they were laying the groundwork for people to accept the worst and I'm looking at them saying they're against God and their views. And we've got to be careful. And that's not to be judgmental. If you're watching TV, be my guess. That's between you and God. But, you know, are you really seeing what God sees when he sees these things? Are we seeing it from God's way? Uh, this is very important for us to be able to see. And he's saying, repent, turn from. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. This verse is used as a salvation verse a lot of times, but it's more than that because this is being used to the church. This is being used to his people. This is, you know, hey, I'm outside knocking. I want to have dinner with you. And, you know, in our day and age, this doesn't quite mean as much as it does in the Middle East or, in, or even in this day. The dinner was the event of the day. <laughs> Okay, unless you were going out to the stadium or the, or the shows or something, dinner was your whole evening. You, you sat down for dinner and it was a two to three hour event. It wasn't get it done real quick and go do other things. This was, you invited people to dinner, you invited family, you invited honored guests, and it was a big deal to be in intimate fellowship with people and just to speak and talk with each other and, and make this a huge deal. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want to come in and have this dinner with you. I want to sit with you for hours with you. Not with the whole world, but with you. And this is that intimacy that God wants to have with each one of us. And sometimes we don't really recognize that he wants to have an intimate relationship with us. We kind of go, okay, God, yeah, I, I want to get saved. I want to, I want to have you. But, you know, we don't think about the intimacy that he wants to have with each one of us. The idea of having dinner with us, spending time with us. 
we are the bride of Christ. And that has, with all that implications, he wants the intimacy of a true marriage relationship of, of all that goes involved with that. And it's a powerful thing that it's an intimate one-on-one -on -one relationship that he wants. He's not saying, okay, church and chloride, I want to have an intimate relationship with everybody in the church. Yes, he does, but he wants it with us one by one by one. And if we have that intimate relationship, how much difference is there? You know, and it's the idea that he's standing there at the door saying, hey, come on, let me in. This is our time to be together. This is our time to be together. Do we make special time for him? Or is it just this general idea that, you know, he's mine and I've got him in my life, you know, no big deal. Yeah. How many families, and this is the big deal they're making now with families, that there are families that never have a meal together. Whether it be breakfast, lunch, or dinner, they just don't have a meal together because everybody is so busy. Mom and dad are leaving early to go to work. The kids are getting up early to go to school, so you don't have breakfast together. You're all in your different places at lunchtime. And then when it comes to dinner time, you know, mom or dad might be home from work if you're really lucky. The kids are off playing sports or school activities and never get together. And what's happening to our families? They're dissolving and disintegrating. And there's a big move right now that says, all you just get together at least for dinner every night. Or, or they're not even saying every night. They're saying at least two or three times a night, which would be better than what some families are doing. And I noticed it when my kids got to be teenagers, it got to be very difficult to have dinner as a family because they would be, you know, most of them worked in restaurants, so they'd be off at work during dinner time. And so it got to be very hard, or sports and all these other things. So it does get to be a big deal. We want to be careful not to get so busy that we don't spend intimate time with Jesus. Intimate time in the Word, intimate time with God. It's one thing to come to church and come to Bible studies and, and meet with a group, and that's good. We don't want to belittle that in any way, shape, or form. But you need the time alone with God, spending time learning yourself. As one of the pastors says, you know, the Bible studies and church services, and they're really good, but that is the teacher or the pastor giving you what they think is important from a section of Scripture. And it probably will do you good because the Word of God is going to be good. But, and you probably have noticed sometimes when you've read something and, you know, when we're reading something in Sunday morning or something and I bring out certain points and you're thinking, well, I would have done this or I'd have done, I, this is really important, why didn't he mention this? And believe me, I've done that in services and Bible studies too. When I've sat back and gone, well, why didn't they mention this? This is really important. But... But, you know, it may not have been important to that, to that pastor at the time. It might not even have been important to the rest of the church. And the, and the Holy Spirit said, this is what I want you to give to the church. But we need to be in God's Word looking at and having God show us what's important in my life. What's important in what I do. Because the pastor or teacher is not going to be necessarily get, say something important to you. And then, unfortunately, sometimes when you say something that is important to somebody, you feel, they feel like you're stepping on their toe. You know, the pastor was stepping on my toes. He was preaching at me today. <laughs> you know, no, the pastor was just listening to the Holy Spirit if he's doing his job right. But we need to be able to let Jesus in. Let him in for that intimate relationship and time with him. Then, the, then the, verse 21, He that overcome, to him that overcomes, and again, we bring that out, that's all Christians. <laughs> I grant or give the right to sit with me 
in my throne, even as the Lord, as I overcame and am sat down at the Father. Do you realize the authority that God's giving us? You know, Paul said that we're going to judge angels. You know, we're, going to be, we're going to be above the angels. And when it comes down to authority in heaven, it's going to be the Father, the Son, and us. You know, this is the power that he's given. This is the love that, he's, that he has for humans. This is the value that he's placed on humans that, that I can't fathom why, why he would even ever have started the, the creation of humans knowing that we were going to fail. And yet, those of us that have been bought and accepted the gift, we're going to be third rulers in there because we're the bride of Christ. So he says, those that have overcome, I'm granting you the authority to sit on the throne with me. This is powerful. This is the power that we have, and this is why we as Christians need to start understanding the power that we have. We, we have great power at our command. That doesn't mean go power crazy and think that you can do all kinds of crazy stuff, but it does mean be aware that you have power. One of the things I learned when, as a restaurant manager, it never failed when you would promote somebody. You know, they're, they're a leader, they're running things, you, they've shown you that they're, they're actually the leader. You give them the title, and they go crazy. <laughs> now, they go crazy in their mind and say, I got power, you gotta do what I say. No, just be who you were because you, you had the power, now you just have the title to go with it. Okay, we as followers of Christ have power. We can pray and see people get healed. We can pray and see people delivered from demons. We can pray and get answers to our prayers Jesus said, you, you have not because you ask not. Ask it of anything in his name and we will get it. That doesn't mean that we go, God, I need a million dollars. And God's going to say, okay, why do you need a million dollars? God, we need a million dollars because we want to buy a fleet of buses to, to transport people to church. Okay, maybe God would answer that prayer. Okay, God, we need a, we need a million dollars because we've got 500 people in the church and there's no room for them. God would probably give us, you know. But if you say, God, I just need a million dollars so I don't have any problems in my life, God's not going to give you that answer. Now, God, I need a Lamborghini. He's probably not going to give that to you. God, I need, a, I need a van so I can get people back and forth to church and for events. God might answer that prayer as long as he knows that you're going to use it for that purpose. So we have that power to ask, and he can do great things. God will answer the prayers. He said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it will happen. There's a story in Praying Hyde's biography where the kids in the orphanage couldn't see the ocean because of a mountain, and, and they started praying that the, the mountain would be moved into the ocean. A couple, a couple weeks or months later, the Union Corps of Engineering came and took the mountain and made a, made a breakwater out in the ocean on it with it. Now, now was, that something, was that something just there to build the faith of the kids? Probably. But you know what? I get it that every one of those orphans never forgot that God answers prayer. And it's very important for us to understand. Now, we look at it and say, well, it's a silly thing. You know, why, why would you ever do that? Well, you know, it was their heart's desire to see the ocean. They would probably never made it across that little, that little dune or whatever it was that they prayed would be gone. But God will answer the prayers as long as they're in his name. If we wanted to use it on our, to consume it on our own desires and lusts, it says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. And 
that's how he ends it. You know, those who, who can hear, go ahead and hear. And we want to be those that can hear. We want to be those that can hear and not and not be not be deaf. But you know, Jesus talked about coming in and supping with us. And you know, the greatest, probably the greatest feast that, that we're ever going to have is going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Seven years celebration in heaven while this world goes through trials and tribulation, and we will be with Him in a God celebration, willing. huh? God willing. We will be. If you're saved, you'll be there. If you're not saved, you're going to be having lots of trouble. Uh, but always remember, God's word is always going to happen. It will. And we've said this over and over. If you are saved, you are saved. And it's eternal life. It is not eternal life until he takes it away from you. You do something bad enough for him to take it away from you. It is eternal life. If you know him, you are saved. You are a new creation. And the only thing you want to be able to look back is, am I a new creation? <laughs> Am I truly saved? And when you know you're saved, you know you're saved. You know, you know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved. And there's not a question in it. Yeah, there might be those times when everything seems to be going wrong. And you go, God, is it, am I really one of yours? Or am I really just being chastised a lot? Or is it just a time for me to be Job being tested? I know that I know, I know, I know. Thanks. Yep. I know I'm it's like a hand in a glove with arithmetic yeah. uh, accuracy and scientific precision. Well, it's what God says. Jesus says that you're in my hand and I'm in the Father's hand. Nobody can, you know, nobody can take you out of my hand and nobody can take you out of the Father's hand. So you've got two hands holding you that nobody can take you out of. So, And then, then I've heard people really get smart alecky. Well, I'll jump out. Uh-uh. It says nobody can take you out. Not even yourself. Once you put yourself there, you are there. Uh, so the key, the only key is did you ever get there? And... This is when you look at somebody who has gone, you know, appeared to be a Christian and totally seemed to go off the deep end. Quite likely they were never a Christian or that they're going to lose all the reward that they should have had because they've gone just totally nuts. And we can't judge that. Only God can judge that. Uh, but when I see somebody that, I'm, that I don't see evidence of, of proof of, of their salvation, I pray for their salvation. Because I'd, I'd rather be wrong and pray for salvation than say, okay, God, you know, Help them be victorious when there's nothing to be victorious from because they're not even one of his. Because if they are his and, and we're praying for salvation, then they'll repent and, and get right with God. And if they're not saved, then we want to see them get saved. And this is important for us to be able to look at. This is one way I'm learning patience. Like they do. Patience, like, okay. Patience is important. I need to learn patience. Patience and, is a virtue. Yes. And, it, and it's from God, and it's something that we have to allow, and he'll test us and, and help us learn there it. there's so many things that had happened, and that I just need patience. Yeah. All right. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have of coming before you and learning. And, Lord, we do thank you that you're the one that, that gives us the gold. You're the one that clothes us. You're the one that is wanting to dine with us, and you even bring the food because you are the bread of life and the water of, of eternal life. And Lord, we just thank you for all of that. Help us as we go forward in the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.